Welcome back to Literally Literary. My name is Vanessa Zuniga. Literally Literary is brought to you by the Mellon Foundation through the Humanities Collaborative at EPCC and UTIP. This is part two of Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. And it's good to have you guys back, uh, those of you who were listening. And if this is your first time... um, Richie here, who uh, who's also one of uh, who's skip that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can just skip me. Yeah, no, no. Cancel <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so, so last time, you know, we had a very eventful week uh, because as part of Latinx Heritage Month, we had a reading at our, at our campus, and as part of the also. Um, the Hispanic Heritage Month, as it's referred to here at our at EPCC, El Paso Community College, um, and so we were lucky enough to uh, be able to um, give away three copies of Poet X to the three best performers. And what really struck me about those performances is um, a lot of those actually were students who read their own poems and read them in Spanish in Espanol. Um, along with that, we also had, uh, some book giveaway that Vanessa was, um, very helpful in coordinating with, uh, where we had this bike for reading, which is a national thing. Um, and then we also had, uh, an open mic, uh, for migrant justice, uh, on behalf, uh, or to benefit Las Americas Immigrant Advocacy Center, um, as well. And so that was another, another big event that we had, uh, this week. Yeah, a lot of big events, uh, especially kind of related to the book. Um, <clears throat> something that struck me about the, the reading that we did on Thursday, the read-in for Latinx uh, Heritage Month, is you know is the fact that a lot of the students um, kind of professed their the fact that it was a very scary thing to do, that they're mm-hmm. you know they're they kind of they want to get better at public speaking and talking mm-hmm. in front of people, and then they just went all out. They they really shared and, and opened up, and I think. Because of that, that was a very magical thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the things we'll, we'll get into. I know last episode, again, if you guys haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, the, first, the previous episode, go check it out. If you're listening to this now and you haven't, go back. <laughs> we have to go back. Uh, but once you're there, come back in two. And, uh, you know, in episode one, we did, uh, I think Vanessa and Jorge did a really great job of go- providing an overview of what to expect. Um, this time we are looking forward to just choosing some some of our favorite passages in the, in the first parts of the book. And, um, you know, if you haven't already, subscribe to this. There's going to be future episodes curating future uh, books to look into. But right now, Elizabeth Acevedo, if you're listening, we would love for you to come visit El Paso. I think we meant that we made, we made that play the first first episode, but we just have to be persistent and polite. And we would love to have you. Uh, we'll talk about your book. Anyway, that's that's my two cents. Uh, let's go ahead and, and dive into this. Yeah, let's go. <clears throat> um. So, Vanessa, what was that first poem you mentioned? And so we're we're gonna try to do this chronological as best we can. Um, but in part one, you know, and, and so there's three parts of the book, right? And part one, um, what was that first poem you wanted to discuss? So the first poem I wanted to talk about was is called Names, and it's on page seven of the book. And in this one, it kind of, Siomara kind of describes her name and how she feels. It kind of defines who she is once she finds out the actual meaning behind it, which is one who is ready for war. Um, So she kind of identifies how her mom 
initially thought that Xiomara was the name of a saint. And instead, now she's ready to be fighting people. So I thought that was really important to talk about. And then the one right after it is called The First Words, which kind of shows Xiomara embodying the meaning behind her name and how she hasn't been, I guess, as easy as her twin brother. Um, and, and in a way, if, if I may interrupt, um, it's... I kind of see that as, as like a gender role reversal, right? I mean, they're twins, right? So it's not like one is like a lot older. Um, but you would normally expect like, you know, the brother to be the more pr protective one, right? And I mean, he kind of serves his own role with that, yeah. um, you know, especially with their mom. But um, I, 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 I've, I, I found that like... Um, her struggling like because it's kind of like a double-edged sword i don't know if what you, if you guys agree but you know in terms of her embodiment how she feels she she's being embodied uh through her uh, poems later on uh re religiously throughout the work um is that she feels she also gets objectified a lot and you know she talks about that in one of the other poems um about how she wants to feel disembodied um and so that kind of goes into the um, the gender representation of how there's this double standard because of of men objectifying women and and kind of um you know, being just straight up misogynistic, right? Even I think from the first poem, she kind of hints at that. And stoop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually thinking about that as well. How very early on, um, you have you have these guys really kind of object, you know, being terrible towards her, mm -hmm. and yet it's her mother who gets mad at her. She's like, mm -hmm. "Why are you talking to the boys like that?" Yeah, and and she didn't really do anything. Like that's, um, you see a little bit of that conflict early on with with kind of the intergenerational um, experiences, you know, especially maybe from islands to to USA, right? Of you know, ex, you know that's going to be setting up that battle all throughout the book between her and her mother and her mother's expectations of her and how, you know, ex Xiomara is a, a fighter. Yeah. And, and Vanessa, what is it about the names that made you go to those two poems? Hmm. Um, well, I've, I like knowing the meaning behind names and I feel like it does mm -hmm. kind of ultimately decide who you become as a person. So I kind of related to that poem in terms of that. Mm. And then I also found the connection through The Hate You Give, actually, by Angie Thomas. And how all of the kids kind of are... What's the word? Hmm. <laughs> the word it's, is... Uh, symbolically named? Or? Yes. Um, like, for example, Star. Her name means light. And she kind of brings all of this light with her. And she kind of changes things. And then you have Sakani, which is Joy. And he's always very happy. And he makes everyone laugh, even when it's when they're very sad. So I feel like names kind of do ultimately determine that. Yeah. So it's so interesting sometimes in, in literature when, when characters have to fight against their names, you know? Yes. You know, kind of like... 
outside of what their destiny is or what, what happens. But yeah, I mean, um, you know, because it's it's inherited, and um, but it also kind of what you're saying, Rich. It kind of reminds me of like Malcolm X, right? Like your name has been colonized, and we've been colonized, right? So you know, um, I identify as Latinx, but even that, you know. Uh, it, it, it is, I mean, it, 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 it's um, it's gender neutral, but it doesn't necessarily acknowledge, like in my indigenous roots, right, of which, you know, I really have no access to, right, because of colonization. And so there's been an, an erasure of that. Um, and in going back to that poem, Vanessa, of the, the first one um, about her, her own name, there's also that phonetic spelling. And uh, I think that's something that, as my experience with, uh, as, as a Latinx, um, I don't know how y'all feel, but like for my name, I feel like it's something I've had to do at conferences. And I'm not saying like, you know, it's like a big deal, but it just kind of reminds me of like, okay, how do you, you know, how do you say that? Like I've gotten that a couple of times uh, when I go to conference, like Jorge, you know, because and and I I think it's good practice to kind of like ask how someone wants to pronounce your name, Absolutely. you know, yeah. with students as well, especially the first day of your semester. How do you prefer your name? Right, you do that too. I'm sure you do that yeah. for that reason. Yeah, same. yeah. Mark it down. Yeah, preferred names. Uh, I don't do the preferred pronouns because I've heard that like that can kind of out students who might not want to be outed. Yeah. Yeah. And usually, I guess uh, they'll offer it themselves that that information. Yeah. You're talking about like kind of when you're out there and you have the the, the Jorge's and the yeah the uh, uh, and that's why I, I just sometimes I mean I feel bad about it but like I say George is because it flows uh-huh. off the tongue you know <clears throat> like like the name of this podcast in Spanish like I was saying last time yeah it rolls off a little easier yeah better than <clears throat> Little Larry or something <laughs> yeah we we. I, uh, I've purposely not said the name of the podcast because I always stumble over it a little bit, you know, tongue, tongue twisted, yeah. tongue tripping over. I think to me, it's, it's my Spanish, you know, cause I, I grew up in Juarez and, uh, I don't know how you feel about it, Vanessa, but like, um, you know, I struggle with like some words that I think just in Spanish mm-hmm. just are easier, but, and, uh, I kind of, I don't know, I feel like I do have an accent, yeah. you know, some vestiges of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there, I, I think just to maybe speak a little larger and then kind of get back into focusing on the text, I kind of remember this this online meme or, or kind of statement. I saw it being posted around, like, you know how a lot of information gets... A lot of the time, like, uh, statements or, or really interesting dialogues get passed around as screenshots of a Twitter conversation or a Tumblr post. And I think one that, that I kind of always remember is is about, like, pronunciation of names and, like, hmm. you know, how come you can't learn this, but you can say Dostoevsky and hmm. and all these other, like, interesting names, like, uh, you know, maybe Eastern European, like, type names. And yeah. I just think that there's... Maybe something worth mining in that, like maybe there's a, a refusal, you know, even if it's unconsciously, mm-hmm. you know, to accept the because we you know we're getting these clashes right now, culture clashes of of like um, Latino Latinx um, people kind of growing population in the U.S. and maybe that's one response. So translating too, right? Because, um, yeah. you know, Juno Diaz has this great bit online, I think it is, yes. where yeah. 
you know, he talks about why is it that like Lord of the Rings has like one third of it is in Elvish. You learn Elvish. <laughs> and, you know, when he writes in Spanish, like he gets flack for not translating it. Um, so it's kind of that same idea, right? The double standard that just because it's like, a, well, you know, it's Latinx tongue yeah. that, you know, people kind of expect to be told what it means without having to look it up. Exactly. Which you get in this book for sure. You know, she weaves in and out. Spanish, English, you know. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think it's pretty seamless. You know, mm-hmm. I think because yeah. that's her. Know. That's her flow. Yeah. What's the next poem that you guys wanted to kind of talk about? Um, well, I have one on forty-one, uh, but it's not a poem. It's and it's and it's an essay. And so I just wanted to highlight um, this one on forty-one because it's um, it presents an an important milestone for her and it's um it's it's not actually a poem right so it's prose right an mm-hmm. essay and so emily format yeah <laughs> <laughs> um you know and of course it speaks to elizabeth's Acevedo's own, own background as a teacher and professor but um i think um you know, I really found interesting how she represents different versions of her writing. And so I think in a writing class, you know, if any of you teachers are out there, uh, I would really recommend this book just to teach revision. Like, process. yeah, process, um, how things change through revision that are global. Um, but, you know, so in, in this one, and it's called uh, Final Draft of Assignment 1, What I Actually Turn In. Um, the most impactful day of my life. Uh, my strong line from this one, and what I mean by strong line, is something that I got from the Puente program. So the Puente program came from uh, California, and you know, spread across um, Latinx communities. Uh, El Paso being El Paso being one of them. Um, and it's this idea that you take ownership of something. So just like with her name, you know, there's a kind of a sense of ownership that she's taking by finding out what what it means, like the etymology, right? Um, here, it's um, it's this moment where her twin uh, gives her the notebook, right? And so it's kind of that, you know, to her her. her what opens kind of the door for her to kind of develop her own voice as a writer and as a thinker, right? So not even as a poet yet necessarily. Um, so there's my strong line from this one. Uh, and so with students, strong lines are meant for them to kind of share and they don't even have to explain it, you know, because there's a there's a power and of course the written word, but I think there's an even greater power in the spoken word. So they literally just get in groups and read it out loud without even explaining it. So that each of them has, it's kind of like a popcorn reading. Um, but yeah, my strong line is, uh, I dress my thoughts in the clothing of a poem. You know, there's that more of that embodiment uh, that she references throughout the text. And it, so it, it's, it's embodiment, but I also see it as empowerment. You know, I think there's a lot to say, and maybe you can, you all can speak to more of this since you, you both read at the read-in on Thursday and at the one on, well, at least you did it for the one on Tuesday uh, for Barbary Open Mic series, is the power of the podium. 
the power of having a voice that's heard, yeah. right? And, you know, it goes back to that, like, um, you know, um, it's like rage against the machine, right? Like the, the, those who are, unheard, you know, I forget the right The is the rhyme of, uh, the rhyme of, what is it? The yeah, the, the right. Lang- <sighs> Jesus, that's terrible. Stumbling over the line. It's the language of the, the rhyme of the unheard. Yes. Right? Exactly. Is the yes. rhyme of the unheard. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I feel th- as a journey for her, this is w- that moment, you know, where, of course, it also um, brings them together as well. So it's a really kind of nice moment for them too. And, and present it uh, as as an actual submission uh, for the teacher to also see, right? So it's kind of this dual sidedness because now the teacher, you know, Ms. Galeno is uh, having access to something that, it, you know, to me seems pretty personal. Mm-hmm. Which you know, as an English teacher, like you realize that happens. It's interesting to see how how some students open up their writing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, especially with um, literacy narratives, which is one of my favorite assignments where, you know, you just have students write about their backgrounds, but shape it into a form of a story and talk about, you know, what it is that they have learned. And there's this wrong idea in really bad idea in academia that like students come as empty vessels. And it's a very kind of very like, yeah, you know, very... Um, kind of a Eurocentric idea um, that I completely reject, you know, there's this, and I supplant it with this idea of the funds of knowledge, the funds of knowledge that people bring in, that the students bring in, you know, that that we really just, our job as teachers is to bring that out on the paper. Mm-hmm. So that's why I really like that one. Yeah, you chose a piece that, that really, I think, um, to me is is a, a focal point or even it's like a a fulcrum to uh, reach out and and one of the, some of the things I wanted to talk about kind of actually do pertain to to this piece you chose um, both in the way in which the essays are represented um, and that she has the drafts you know what I want to write what I you know the draft and then what I actually turn in this isn't the first you know she continues to do this throughout which I think is is very enjoyable to see as as a writer myself mm-hmm. and as a reader of course uh, we mentioned before Acevedo's use of language is so masterful here uh, but to kind of even take it back a little bit uh, one of the poems I wanted to to start with is the night before the first day of school that's page thirty four and you know I connected with this one right away because. As a longtime student and, and now teacher, you know, we that's a lot of first days of school. <laughs> mm-hmm. And even as a teacher, you know, I, I still have that moment of kind of just laying in bed awake and just kind of thoughts mm-hmm. racing through your mind. How's it what's going to be like? How's yeah. the semester going to go? Where are students going to well, be? Yeah, like? you know. Thinking about like the trajectory over the past couple of years, like mm-hmm. what, how are they going to be this year? You know, yeah. is, are they going to be any like outstanding students? You know, and all that stuff. Yeah. So I'm thinking of her laying awake, and and, she, and that's a just a moment of <clears throat> vulnerability mm-hmm. of of her and her own thoughts, and I think she hits on a couple of, of key points that I think resonate 
later on in the book and in her in her own journey to recognize the many different ways. And I, I think it's it's cool that you touched on that, how as she becomes a thinker before you can become like that poet performer, mm-hmm. right? You're also putting your thoughts down through essay. And she gets inspiration from all around, from lyrics, from sitting on her stoop and observing the world around her. Um, and and it's just this anxiety of a of a young teen in this transitional many transitional moments of her life, both uh, mentally, physically, maybe even spiritually, right? Or, or lack of, uh, and, and some would say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so here she's saying, right? Um, I feel myself stretching my skin apart. Even with my Amazon frame, I feel too small for all that's inside me. I want to break myself open like an egg smacked hard against an edge. Teachers always say that each school year is a new start. There's that tabula rasa through you, right? <laughs> but even before this day, I think I've been beginning. I love that last line. I wrote that down on my reading notes. I think I've been beginning. I think she recognizes there's there's this force in her that wants this. What, how does she care, uh, compare it? It's the one you actually mentioned the names. The sharpening of an island machete. She knows that's there. Right, this fighter, she's she's gonna do something big, and she feels that. This that's this yearning, and uh, a couple of the pieces I, I selected later on are gonna go through this, which is why I always like to talk about the literary thread of a book or things you can just kind of pull out, and there's little connections. So, yeah. I'll kind of throw that out there for now. I I've, I always have this anxiety of talking too much, so um, I'll step back out. But you know, I think I think a lot of what we're gonna bring up are gonna be related in, yeah. in those ways. Yeah. So. Um, I'd love to hear maybe your next poem. Well, and actually, if I can just sure. give my two cents on that, because um, it reminds me of, of the title of part one, mm-hmm. you know, this kind of biblical illusion, of course, but also an appropriation, you know, because as you as you kind of hinted at, right, like it's it, this, this, her self-discovery is a lot about, you know, something that Vanessa mentioned with her own upbringing that there's this um, kind of to some degree like um, disowning the religious, religious, like hardcore religiosity of mm-hmm. her mother. And yet, you know, in part three, right? I mean, there, there's a whole bit about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Vanessa, you are a current student at UTEP. So how did you feel about um, that, you know, that feeling and, and, and that poem, uh, like, did it resonate with you? Of the beginning? Of the, uh, of, uh, Richie's poem, the, yes. the, the yeah. you know, night, night before first day of school. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that she's like, she is aware that she's growing and she's changing and that she's kind of already started this journey that she's going through. And Do- you also feel the anxiety that she's. Because those lines are so descriptive that you just you fe- you can feel what she's feeling almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and you know you're you transferred from El Paso Community College, so I don't know if there's any differences there that you've sensed of like that first day and that experience of like university versus you know a community college. Um, but also, um, I don't know if you feel that way about something that we have, which is called Papagayo. And um, we have Papagayo as this kind of group where students can come and go. Um, there's no membership dues. Uh, we don't 
you know, we allow anyone. So you don't even have to be a student. You could be, be a member of the community. Member of the community, and it's students who kind of have the floor, right? So we kind of sit back as professors and we let students present on their own. Mm-hmm. And I know you have a workshop coming up, Vanessa, on on this point itself, oh, right? Ba-da-da. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know how you feel like if you feel the same way as like the the classroom dynamic with a professor on the sta- the stage on the stage right as mm-hmm. they say <laughs> Richie especially or even Shakespeare um, <laughs> um, and Babagayo where like it's kind of more um, it's pretty well to me I think you know it is pretty different. Yeah, um, I do like that they do share the same aspects where we are able to talk about things we're interested in. And my workshop is actually going to be about X, kind of similar to what we're doing right now, actually. Um, but you can see me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we do have that Facebook page, the Papagayo Project, if you guys want to follow us there. And we'll post pictures if you're unable to physically attend. Um, what was uh, the next point, Vanessa, that you wanted to highlight? I wanted to talk about holding a poem in the body which is on page 79. And so kind of like preluding to this, um, she hears, um, she watches a video in her class where she's watching a spoken word artist and it kind of inspires her to kind of want to aspire to to do the same thing. Um, So holding a poem in the body is her kind of reciting her, she's trying to memorize one of her own poems so that she can eventually... I mean, I'm not sure if she even realizes it, that she's trying to, like, become this spoken word artist, but it kind of eventually develops into her becoming that. So I think it's very important. And, I, you know, the, the, and the title itself, right, again, um, the embodiment of something. And uh, there's that dramatic irony at the end, right, with, um, you know, um, Mommy Knox. And so it's kind of this um, kind of reminds me a little bit of like yellow wallpaper of like the subversiveness that comes with whatever you're doing. And, and just like with the narrator in that one, it's, it's writing. And, you know, what's so bad about that? Right. Um, there could be worse things. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's that line. Uh, I respond verses. I'm memorizing verses. I know she thinks of, I mean, Bible ones. Right, which is, you know, she's not like lying, you know, but she, she knows like, uh, maybe she's proud of her for a moment. Oh, okay, continue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it also serves as a kind of foreshadowing, right, of like uh, her mother being ever watchful of her and almost like, you know, like a, you know, Someone who is constantly holding up her, holding her up to that pedestal that she refers to, right? That she feels she's not, she's not, um, she's not reaching, or that maybe she shouldn't be put on a pedestal, right? I mean, there's this whole conflict in, in the in the book about. Um, you know, biblical figures like Eve and Lot's wife and this idea of like temptation, right? And giving into temptation and how her mother kind of really emphasizes that as part of her upbringing, Father Sean as well to some degree. Um, and it's almost like, you know, with, with teenagers, the idea that like the more you push something on someone, the more they're going to resist because you're doing it in a way that just comes off as 
as a um, fundamentalist. Right. Yeah. I mean that that section also highlights again that conflict, kind of foreshadowing later on. But to kind of um, continue on with the poem you chose, Vanessa, um, that <clears throat> you know tying into this this night before where she she talks about I feel myself stretching my skin apart and and um, feeling too small for what's inside her. This is actually, you know, where she's getting to experience um, first from just seeing her and watching herself in the mirror, mouth her own words, um, emulating this this poet that she had previously seen in her in her English class. Uh, I really love the third stanza here because mm-hmm. um, go, going just beyond watching her speak, she starts to to emulate movements, and I I think this is is really powerful, and it. it points to that this this what you've been talking about Jorge, of, of embodiment mm-hmm. um i'm gonna read it just because I, I you know speaking truth to power i let the words shape themselves hard on my tongue i let my hands pretend to be punctuation marks that slash and point and press in on each other i let my body finally take up all the space it wants like um I'm someone who talks with their hands. So I know exactly what she's talking about here, right? Yes. Uh, let my hands pretend to be punctuation marks, like emphasizing things. And and, and if you watch spoken word poets, it's like mm-hmm. part of that theat- theatrical element. And here, that's that's her, her negotiating that. She feels too big, right? And so now she's got to kind of figure out how to negotiate that with her movement that embodies her words. And... and um, yeah, she, I love that stanza right there. Yeah, that one's really strong. It's probably my favorite too. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, you know she's spreading her wings, and uh, it. Um, I wanted to connect that real quick, and then we'll go to some of the other poems to the day on the one forty four, one forty five. Um, this is already in in part two, but we can go back to part one. Um, I just want to highlight my strong line from this one, the very last one. And my heart is one of Darwin's finches learning to fly. Um, here, and this is in reference to uh, her and Amon's budding relationship. Um, you know, and of course, there's a, this allusion, not just, of course, to um, Darwin's origins of species and how he developed that theory of evolution afterward. Um, but, you know, the fact that like they, they, they're, they met in the lab, right? And, um, you know, so she's connecting whatever class concept she's getting uh, to her own personal life in a way that, you know, me as a, as a professor, I never would have thought. Um, and it kind of represents, of course, symbolically her own uh, evolu- evolution uh, as um a, a spoken word artist, but also someone who's, you know, getting acclimated to uh, having someone close, right? Like sharing a kiss and all of those things that like yeah. teenagers experiment with yeah. as they're growing up. Explorations into intimacy. Yeah. Um, but was there another one in part one that you wanted to cover? No. No. Okay. Richie had one though. No? Yeah. Did you? Well, I think huh, I think we just kind of in our, in our own discussion. Um, one of the ones that 
I wanted to discuss, but I think because you brought up the a couple a little later is the, the poem spoken word, mm. right on seventy six and seventy seven. It just you know just that simple thing. And and um, in the first episode, uh, Jorge had mentioned the concept of a literary sponsor, mm. right? Someone who really encourages. You know your upbringing. Sometimes it's just as simple of it's as simple as maybe showing you content that maybe would have wouldn't have normally seen. Mm-hmm. For example, like a video of a spoken word poet, um, and and kind of surprised at how it might connect. And so, of course, she has this moment where she connects, right? And I think at first she really enjoys it, but at first she doesn't really know how to deal with it, right? She even has this this moment of doubt, like it's just a poem. It's just a poem, but she knows it's more, right? And she ends that poem with, but it felt more like a gift, right? I think that's um, kind of pulling on this literary thread I've been talking about, that we've all been talking about, is, you know, she's, she's starting to see this outlet that can work for her, you know, to express herself. The other thing is, um, not just through spoken word, but even through writing, I think... Um, some of the tender moments for me were, you know, kind of her brother's gifts of notebooks and, and, and him recognizing that, you know, this is her way of being able to communicate hard, hard ideas or whatever she's wrestling or struggling with. Um, and of course, later that translate into from the page to the stage. So um, I'll just, yeah, just from that, let's go into part two. Cool. Transition music. <laughs> So Vanessa, what was um, one of the poems from part two that you wanted to discuss? The one about Genesis. So it's called, I think the story of Genesis is mad stupid. And it's on page 120. Um, So I really liked this one because it goes, it ties back to the whole questioning of her religion. And she's kind of not arguing, but she's kind of calling out Father Sean and like asking him for answers um answers that I don't think he even has but he tries his best in the following poems to kind of help her out and kind of help her find these answers and I think these are you know these are it shows her inquisitiveness right that um like I think any any curious teenager or child is going to have these questions. And so it really shows that um, she really is thinking critically about the information that she's being given, not just in the classroom, but through the confirmation uh, process. And, um, you know, again, the, the, that kind of, um, that moment of like the the first sprouting of like doubting, right? Doubting the existence of, of a higher power, as well that that we get from this poem mm-hmm. yeah i mean i, I definitely i re, i mean so my ex, my experience is definitely this as well growing up catholic and having these exact questions and so um as as you were mentioning it vanessa i i, I couldn't help but laugh just because you know i i've had similar experiences and and i i kind of also just love the subtle humor um first of all just with the title the story of Genesis is mad stupid, like throwing in kind of that 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 street slang, um, but also just the image of uh, the younger kids 
are silent watching like a WWE match. Like they're like just this this mental grappling with each other over these questions and it's it's kind of nice to have those moments of uh you know and and also goes back to the whole naming thing right and the next thing like your trouble right right kind of re re-echoes that we're like we need to have a talk you know you know which, which um as a literacy sponsor is interesting too right that i had mentioned in episode one that father shun does have uh, an arc you know he doesn't remain static as a character meaning like he does change but um you know as, as a potential literacy sponsor it seems like you know he's trying to cover something up right like um trying to cover up these questions and just brush him off it's like you know this is not this is not the right place or even like the right kind of um set of mind mm-hmm. to have when you're going through something like this right of, of questioning mm-hmm. like it should be about faith and faith is, isn't necessarily about that although of course some listeners might disagree yeah right i mean even even her friend right got it out in that poem like she's bright red so she's like obviously embarrassed like why would you why would you do that you know and i think a lot of people would have that response to to kind of bringing up some some sort of conflict, even though you know, for Siomara, she she wants to know these things. You know, mm-hmm. it also reminds me even as a, of um, if um, we read Paradise Lost, right? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if you remember, but in Paradise Lost book nine, it reminds me of this. This is kind of very similar to um, um, Satan's last push to convince Eve to bite of the apple where he throws everything but the kitchen sink at her and it ends up kind of you know penetrating her her defenses um because of all the 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 logic that he's throwing similar to to kind of this circumstance right that like all he has is like well you know um let's have a talk about that um so it, it to me that's what it reminded me of as well is um you know, of course, Satan had bad intentions, but I think to some degree there was some, you know, there was some logic to like the question that he was posing to Eve. It's, and it just so happened that Eve didn't have answers to any of that. And just like uh, Father Sean. Right on. What was another poem in, um, in part two that you wanted to talk about? Um, I kind of liked this body on fire. It's on page 191, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You're good. So this one is kind of, um, after she leaves the park with Aman, she's getting onto her train Mm -hmm. and all she can think about is kissing him again. And so she kind of has a lot of metaphors calling herself a junkie um and she calls she calls herself a fiend at the end (laughs) kind of and it's kind of uh, you know normally those who are have negative connotations attached to them but here you know in her power with language which you know um, we won't spoil part three but when let's just say it's interesting when it comes to her spoken word performances uh versus what we see on the page but um here 
it, 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 it's kind of like she's already reversing the, you know, a loaded term, right? Like junkie into something that is a positive representation of the relationship. And um, uh, again, you know, that evolution of her body as something that is just engulfed in flames, you know, like, um, like Till from Rammstein or something in a concert. And uh, all because of, you know, what, what a monster um, relationship. Um, the, and, and, and it's also a very essential, right? I think even as, as a book that's kind of, tar- that to some degree is targeted to a younger audience, um, it, it, it is like really essential. And I, I've read, you know, some other young adult novels and it's, it's always, I think, tricky from a writing perspective um, you know, measuring your words and not, you know, not being too graphic, not being too explicit. Mm. But I think she does a very good job, yeah, of sharpening that <clears throat> writing utensil just enough um, so that we just get a taste of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also, like, you know, speaking on, on her, her power of language, uh, just... Um, her recognizing her turning me into a fiend i love the um this tendency also of just like in a way to be a little little dramatic about it you know like you know let people stare it'll remind them of your first you know they'll remember their first love and it's like all right she's she's totally owning it she's stepping up in like in in almost in a bombastic way there i think that's the oh yeah that's like literally the the line right before the poem you just brought up we're probably the only thing worth watching anyways. Maybe we're doing our train audience a favor, reminding them of first love. Like, dang, she's, you know, she's putting it up there. And I think um, as a young writer, young poet, or even nah, just any poet, we have the tendency to, like, romanticize things a lot, you know? Put it up, put it up there. Mm-hmm. So I <laughs> I feel that here when she's feeling that. And of course, placing Amon and the relationship on this pedestal is very important uh, for part three, which we'll talk about yeah. uh, in more detail in our next episode. It's a good segue. Yeah, part three. We will talk about part three. <laughs> but uh, I don't know if you had any more poems for part two. I don't know. Um, so uh, to the listeners, uh, in part three... Um, um, episode three, I should say, we'll talk about part three, um, so it'll align with that. Um, but we also uh, we're hoping to bring another special guest to help us talk about the audiobook. So if you haven't heard the audiobook, it's only about three or four hours long, um, and so we're hoping to bring in a special guest, a colleague of ours, to talk about that and also talk about how this colleague uh, connected with the book and and why it also. Um, I think just in general has resonated with so many people of, of any, of any, you know, of not just necessarily Latinx and not just necessarily women, right. But like of any, any gender mm-hmm. and any sex um, and any, any beliefs, right. Like, you know, you were mentioning Vanessa that like part of your family was Catholic part of them was like, uh, a Christian denomination, and I, I, you know, I think also like um, a secular audience could relate to this in in different ways. All right, right on. Um, I want to thank you guys for having me on again to to uh, 
share some thoughts and thank you richie for hosting us again yeah um this this um has been recorded at a studio here in el paso texas called power at the past it's a content creation center you know we're focusing on on creating content and and telling stories um and a huge part of that are the podcasts we record out of here um so you guys get to be part of that tradition um and as always you guys listening right now again subscribe to the the show follow future episodes and even share with those in your life who who might get something out of this you know your your literary peeps out there in the world and then we're off thanks for listening bye (laughs) bye